0: What's up, y'all? with Living corporate. Look, every single day, every single day I wake up and I'm passionate about centering and amplifying black and brown folks at work. Right. We go through these seasons where people act like we're so in, we're so needed and precious. And then we go through these seasons where we're just treated disposably. Right. We've seen that uh, really heightened since 20. 20- 20, the murder of George Floyd, and we saw all these pledges and stuff, and we saw all this all this language and commitments from organizations, but now we're seeing a lot of folks renege on all those commitments and, um, and pledges, right? We're seeing black and brown folks continue to be disparately impacted by massive layoffs in the tech industry. The industry that was, was promoted as the place for black and brown folks to get some equitable treatment and to have some sort of financial security and wealth generation. We're seeing we're seeing a continual uh, backtracking uh, from the same people that boldly said that Black Lives Matter. Okay, but the good the, the good news is for me anyway, and for, for for living corporate is we existed before diversity, equity, and inclusion was hyper in vogue, and we're going to continue to exist as diversity becomes a disgusting cuss word. Right. The good the other good news I'm gonna say is is that. We don't really subscribe to all of that hyper uh, white liberal jargon. That is really what diversity, equity, inclusion is. It's a bunch of different gobbledygook words that don't really mean much, that really aren't defined well. I'm excited about the fact that we have conversations with executives, activists, elected officials, entrepreneurs, influencers, artists. And every single week, dare I say every single day, (laughs) we're publishing content. That challenges systems, structures, and people to do right by historically marginalized people. And by historically marginalized, I mean black and brown queer, black and brown trans, black and brown disabled, black and brown men, black and brown women, black and brown non-binary, black and brown first generation, black and brown people, right? The country is going to continue to get blacker and browner. And it's important that our voices continue to be heard. I still believe that the strongest weapon and the biggest gift I have is my voice. And Living Corporate is a megaphone and an amplifier for all things black and brown at work. So I'm happy that you're listening. Welcome to the network. We outside, baby. Let's go. Now look, the next thing you're going to hear, we're going to have, you know what I'm saying, our interview. I'm excited for you to check out this interview. Don't go nowhere. I'm going to see you in a minute peace
1: yo Khalif,
0: spawn on me adams what's going on dog
1: (laughs) fam thank you so much for having me i'm excited to be rocking i know this this took a year in the making because of the world spinning and things happening but I've been so excited to be able to get a chance to sit down and talk to you and and talk about all the stuff you're working on because your your work is brilliant,
0: man. Well, listen. First of all, I appreciate the love. I appreciate the flowers, on and off the mic. Um, And yeah, it's crazy because you look you look up, and I was you know we were saying you look up, and because I was like because I I saw you tweeting, and I was like, we follow uh, each other. Supposed to yeah. do, then I went on my email and like, <laughs> A year we're supposed to hit, I hit you up last. Time. We were going back, and then, like, and it was just like life. I look up and you know, shoot, I want to say, and it's crazy because to your point about just life, life, and right. So, mm, so we, I think we initially kind of exchanged stuff in like August, September, October. Oh. My first, my second daughter was born. Um, I get a new job, um, then I quit my job and start doing living corporate full-time it's just wow so yeah and then i got my oldest who's you know three going on 13 so you know <laughs> it's a lot going on bro so so yeah i'm excited too. listen there's a bunch of stuff i want to talk about first off yeah. let's just get into like your foray into gaming like why gaming why this space what's up with that
1: Wow. So, so gaming is, has been a integral part of my life since forever. I've been, you know, I I just turned, had another spin around the sun in August. So I I just turned 45. Uh, Thank you. And and, and congratulations on your newborn, on your newest one. Um, And I've been playing games since I was like three, you know, like I'm I'm an old school cat, you know, late 80s, early 90s grew up on the atari 2600 and through that lineage of video games and, and consoles and, and the, i'm a kid of the arcade era which which is a which has put a huge imprint on my life in terms of what video games have meant to me but video games were really a, a safe space for me it was a it was a thing that you know growing up in the bronx back home in new york uh in a time that was not great for the city uh and, and great for the state it was a lot of crime going on in in, in the hood A lot of wild stuff going on and my grandma was the one who actually gave me gaming as a way to kind of stay safe she was like look i know where you're going to be i don't have to worry about you know randomness happening to you in the street don't be out there running around and this is a good way to kind of keep you in a space where i can you know give you something to do and keep you safe in in a space that isn't uh, all the time and that that lent towards my love of gaming that lent towards my love of technology and tech um, and that's been a driving force for me for for now, you know, 30 plus years of being in and around games, but now in the past 10, you know, making it a part of my work life part of my hobbies the, and a part of the, the thing last, that has like given me a lot of so, purpose with, you know, with it's the interesting to your, your
0: point I think about the fact that I've been playing games since I was since I was a kid, I want to say my first console was the Sega Genesis, I had uh, Sonic 2 and then I remember I had, um, the big chunky gray game boy, um, and I had Donkey Kong. Um, and so you're 45. I want to note that because that, that ties into something. I want to put a pin in that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little, a little bit younger, um, at, at 34. Uh, but you know, what's interesting to me is like, you talk about the fact that you've been playing games your whole life and, and, and the the uh, the protection, the insulation, some semi insulation, they provided for you in different seasons of your life. Talk to me though about like at what point did you realize you looked up and, and not realize, but it's like say, hey, this cannot just be a hobby. This can be the way that I actually like pay my bills and take care of myself. Like what what was the pivot there?
1: Um, I think it was hard. I think the the pivot came in very small increments, right? Like I, I'd been a tech head, and you know. I think a lot of folks who, who don't who may not know is that Spawn on Me is still not my full time thing. Like it is a it is still a thing that I'm doing. I wouldn't say on the side because it, it, it involves so much of my my brain space and my life at this point, but I've always had a nine to five job for most of the time that I've been doing Spawn on Me. But the pivot came when I decided that I was going to try to figure out to do something with a lot of the energy that i was occupy, that was i was kind of pushing towards my nine to five i was working as a, on the help desk side of things at a, at a union back home in new york and I just wasn't feeling smart i wasn't using my brain i was kind of kind of just rolling through the motions and in rolling with emotions just didn't feel good from a just human heart, mind and soul perspective. So wind up not feeling good. And I was like, here's a thing that I love. And I, I don't get a chance to talk about it with a lot of folks. I don't get a chance to express how I'm thinking about it. Is there a way to be able to do that? And that kind of started off in a writing space. At first, we had a, uh, had a blog called the small point blog that did okay and did fairly well. Um, and then that changed into the podcasting space which was already bubbling up but it was a space that was still having a resurgence in the in the time that i that i kind of poked at it and and there were some endemic folks who were there for a long period of time but getting to see that that was a a viable space to have conversation that was the thing that drove that more towards a like maybe this is a thing that we can do for fun and also maybe there's a business layer here too
0: yeah i mean i'm gonna say what i love about what I love about your work, and you, and that, so again, I, was, I put a pin in your age for a reason. What I love about your work and the way that you engage, like, just this world of gaming is there's a certain level of maturity that you have when you, like, talk about the games that you play, as well as, frankly, when you, like, look across the landscape and you engage, like, and you, and you provide any commentary or observation about whatever's happening. Like, you're, you're sitting in this, like, in this Gen Xer space in uh, the Gen Xer co- generational cohort, while well, at the same time engaging a space that like, I don't know, has a has the whole gamut of people, don't get me wrong, but it's like really dominated by like young millennials and like Gen Zers. Talk to me about like your approach and mindset as you just kind of look at the things going on. I mean, like we could literally pick on any any one thing in gaming. Just like immaturity abounds. Like, talk to me about like how you, how do you navigate that? And do you ever feel like, dog, I am too old for this? Like, Like, I'm curious about that.
1: I feel too old all the time. I mean, but that's a But that's the beauty of it, though. I think now being at the age that that I'm at, you have perspective and perspective is a huge thing. I don't think. And and again, it winds up being one of those conversations where if you look at the, the timber of the conversation, a lot of it is angsty. A lot of it is very much the sky is falling. Everything is bad. Everything is wrong. Everything is messed up. And yes, we live in a time where unprecedented unprecedented things are happening. Like, you know, monopolies are potentially in, in, involved and the world around gaming is, is, is on, on on fire oftentimes, but the the tagline and I, and I, and I hold this to, to, the, to the end of my days for our show. And for me is that I want to bring nuance back to the internet. And I think that is an important thing because yes, there are things on each level of the the spectrum that are wild and terrible and fantastic and great. And we never talk about the good stuff. We hardly focus on the things that are working. We are constantly focused on the things that are wrong because that's easy. That doesn't, that doesn't provide you space to go look at somebody else's stuff and be like, yo, I may not like this. I definitely like this. Can we talk about that? Like, there's spaces in there where no one in this in this industry is a demon. There are very few folks in this industry who wake up every morning on the game side, on the publish side, and all stuff, spend multiple hours away from their families, away from their homes to make a terrible product, to, to make you uh, a terrible human in the, in the world, and to give you a bad experience. There's very few people who are doing that work. So that means that there's a ton of conversations to talk about and angles to talk about that removes some of that kind of young angsty space. And m- mind you, I was there. I was never at that spot because I got into the game a little bit older. I got into the game when I was in my early thirties and I had some perspective there, but I've also seen everything from when we were two dots on a screen on a, to we now have games where people look like actual human beings. In that small amount of time frame which encompasses my life around the, the amount of space that I've been on the planet. If you don't look at that and you're like, oh my God, this is some of the coolest stuff on the planet, then I feel like you're doing it wrong. Like you're wasting the time that you have to be able to appreciate while also lending voice to things that are, that are necessarily wrong. And we do that because of the angle that we talk about games through a, a prism of blackness. But I think those things are in there, but there's also so much good that we can be talking about that we leave on the vine every day.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about that. Like this, this prism of blackness you just mentioned, like, yeah, I, I, I do think. And, and I, so let me say this, like I, you know, I've been black my whole life. And then Khalifa, I think have also. <laughs> I'm going to be presumptuous yep. and say, I think that yes. for for me, I I do think that I don't think that there's enough engagement on the intersection of just uh, of blackness and gaming. I don't, um, and and, I, and and frankly i and as and as underrepresented and underengaged, uh disengaged under engaged black representation identity is i mean we can then we can then say that for a bunch of black and browns other you know non-white spaces and people like talk to me about like you know i know that you have a history and you've done like you've worked in like the intersection of diversity equity inclusion in gaming like you've worked for different brands like doing this work like talk to me about like how what inclusion looks like um in like the context of gaming and like why why that's relevant or important
1: i think it's relevant and important because you know no bs we as black people move everything that has been that has been since we have set foot on this continent and before that when we were back in the motherland doing what we were doing and making, making new civilizations work, we have always been at the forefront of everything. And then you push that forward into the modern age. We are the forefront of everything. That's hot. Everything that you see on the planet that right now is moving. We had a part in it. If you understand that, then you understand our worth. And if you understand our worth, you understand those the things that we're not getting in the gaming space, in the entertainment space, and especially in the technology space. Again, I think it makes that conversation a lot easier if you have lived through it and understand the the value of the culture. But what winds up happening is in and of course, this is because, again, we don't we don't own a lot in some of these spaces. We're not the heads of some of of these companies, many of these companies still. And we're now kind of finally getting to put our imprint on some of those things and and it's bubbling up, which is great. But I think the work that I've been able to do, not only at I was at Riot Games for for a little bit in their uh, diversity and inclusion layer, some of my favorite work was over when I was working at Intel and their VR and AR and gaming spaces there because it was an actual way that I could have um, uh, some imprint on the business there through a diversity and inclusion layer, which wasn't, which the funny thing is that was not a part of my scope of my job. <laughs> but I know it's important that you step into a room and you have say, and you have sway, you have to voice that stuff. So I'll give a quick example of that. Uh, during the during the, the George Floyd uh, murder uh, kind of space when that happened in, in the culture, all of us galvanized around what that what that meant from a cultural perspective in, in, in black circles and brown circles and in white circles. There was this this signaling that there was going to be movement. Right. And that we were going to see things happen in a way that we hadn't seen before. There's going to be some addressing of issues. There's going to be some uh, compensation kind of put in, in in terms of culture and money and all of those things. I came to the table and said, well, here's a great space to, to, to see what we can do from a business company perspective, one of the biggest names on the, on a planet. And the thing that you wind up getting in diversity inclusion conversations often, if you're working in corporate spaces is what's the KPI here that we're going to hit to be able to show that diversity is happening. And I think that's the worst work version that you can kind of put out into the world because it doesn't work like that. KPIs and cultural shifts are not, you can't put them in the same space of What's our quarterly margin look like? You can't do that. That's a, that's decades upon work that happens. And you've seen it happen in things like the so, the social rights, uh, the, the civil rights movement, all those things, right? It takes decades to get those things in a good spot. But I think there's a balance there between what can happen culturally and what happens in a business perspective. And to usually get to the sense of business, the heart's mind, soul conversation, which we should have already had, doesn't equate, it doesn't work, Right. Because you can tell white people that they've been messing up forever, and it doesn't mean that they're going to move the needle, right? Because they need this extra thing to kind of get there. Some folks, right? Some people get it, and they they ride as good allies and do that work. But for the most part, in the C-suite, that is not a thing that works, right? You have to hit the P&L in a real way, right? You have to hit their profit, profit and loss margins in a real way and discuss it. I came up with a hypothesis. I said, look, if we were to take the black dollar out of gaming for a year, what would that do to gaming? So we got some time, I got some research done, and we put out this really fantastic survey uh, with our friends from New Zoo at the time and talked about what that looked like from a mon- from a monetary perspective if you took the black dial out of gaming. Because I think that's where we have a lot of power that we don't use, right? We have some of the folks who spend the most money on the planet and entertainment on the planet. But if you take that out, does that starve the beast enough to make people perk up and say, well, what do we have to do to address this, right? The numbers are smaller in, in 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 terms of what the overall number was. It was probably like 12 to $15 million a year, which is not a fantastic big number. It's not nothing to sniff at. But I also know that our sample size was extremely small, right? And if you extrapolate that out, that then becomes billions, that comes with high millions of dollars. Because then you add all the other brown folks in there, all the under underrepresented folks in there who are not getting marketing spent. Right? Because I think that's the problem. It stemmed from a conversation that I had with one of the C-suite folks. And I'm sorry if I'm rambling. But what the conversation was, I looked at our marketing. Someone said, hey, Ka, what are we missing here? And I was like, black people. (laughs) I was like, I I see none of us in any of the stuff that we market. And that's a problem. Because if you're then saying to people who have the most discretionary money to spend that we're not paying attention to you. We're not looking at you. We're not even addressing you. We're not even seeing you in the room. They have no reason to attach themselves culturally to your, to, to your brand. That conversation sparked some work that I was able to do. We got, uh, I started a program that would kind of um, uh, empower uh, creators of, of various levels across different strata to be able to get really dope machines. We had like $5,000 PCs sent out to about 16 people. Across different layers of of the funnel, and that was the thing that I was driving. So it was gaming, it was uh, politics, it was social justice, it was a lot of different stuff. Because again, those are all parts of the cultural sphere that we re- that we live in, right? So it winds up changing the way that you think about what that means for the space going forward in a DEI perspective, because you're both addressing the cultural need that's there because you're, you're trying to help bridge the gap between the tech pipeline that we cons- consistently see. You're also saying, Hey, as a company, we actually understand what this means for you in the ways that we talk to you. And then on the back end you wind up giving these folks who have gotten these machines the ability to do the work that they have been doing in a much better space, which then gives them more space to do the work that they have been trying to do in a much broader sense. So you wind up hitting all of these levels of stuff, but the crux of that is research. And if we don't spend enough money on research and we don't spend enough money, you know, as black and brown folks giving our information to some of these conversations, we don't get to where we need to get to. It's the reason why people beef at you when you don't take the census, right? It's like the same thing for gaming. It's like, it's the reason why we don't understand where the marketing spend is. We do a little bit, but it's the reason why I say you can do both. When people are like, you can't spend, you can't spend money to get out of DEI or to make DEI better. I was like, that's a lie. You can absolutely spend money to make diversity and inclusion a thing. 100%. You just have to do it. You just have to do yeah. it. You have
0: to, and, and, abs- yeah. and it's so funny when people say that, it's like, it's so interesting, like, in the, in spaces, like, anything that has to do with, like, making the workplace more fair, more equitable, all of a sudden, the thing that works everywhere else won't work here. Like, every other time that we, that we as a culture or society have a problem, a core part of whatever that problem is, putting, throwing money at it. Like, like, now, it's, it's you're not, like, literally just, you're not, like, just blindly throwing, but it's investment. I mean... It's about investing it in a really, in a really like intentional and, 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 um, an authentic way.
1: And you have to do it without ask and you have to do it with, uh, uh an understanding that you're, there is no ROI here. There is no, the ROI is cultural and the ROI that you're seeking doesn't exist. It doesn't work like that. You can't KPI your way to DEI. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. So I'm like, when people get that in that mix, yes, it's great for if you're a marketer, it's great if you're a researcher, it's great for if you're a part of that layer and you have marketing spend or you have budget to to, to pay for that stuff. But you can't get to DEI through KPI in the same ways you do. You have to give that money and 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 continue to give that money in ways that matter to the folks who are on the ground and have tangible results from that stuff by checking in and by having conversations and making sure that you're still supporting. It's the only way it works if you're if you're a business doing that work in the ways that I think in gaming at least.
0: Well, well, it's it's so interesting that you say that, right? So it, it, when I think about when I think about like the intersection of just like inclusion representation and in gaming, honestly, I think about this RDC skit um, where <laughs> they were trying to build this character and it was like, "Yo, where's my hairstyles at?" And it was like every hairstyle was like I don't know, like somebody from like. Um, uh, uh, Man, what was that? What's that, rock, that punk rock band I used to listen to a lot? Good Charlotte or like Blink 182 oh, yeah. <laughs> Like yeah. It's yeah, just like, yeah, all this, yeah, like, yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, like yeah. it's like, okay, I mean, that, yep. these hairstyles are cool, but like, my hair don't grow like that. So, like, why am I. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or like, it's like, yo, know, like, where, what's. Like, even like the skin tones, you know, it's just. And like, man, I love what you're saying, though, about this, like, you can't KPI your way in DEI. And I think, like, here's my thing is. There's metrics that you can you can try to track and follow. However, yes. like, if you... But, like, if all you're doing is looking at those metrics and you're not having any appreciation for, like, the things that you cannot immediately see or measure, then you're making right. the mistakes. I think the other challenge, Khalif, is that, like, most people are not, like, smart enough. I'm going to just say it this way. Most people are really not smart enough to even understand the data and analyze it in a way to get any meaningful outputs anyway. So, like, what yeah. I mean by that is, like, okay are you even able to like bifurcate this, all these data sets in a way to give you like actual insight? And let's say if, if I was to give you a bunch of numbers right in front of you, could you actually even analyze and visualize it in a way to give you answers? Like probably not. So like, no, so, so it's like, it's like, let's just be honest. Cause there, there are plenty of things that organizations will invest in or just like throw money at or that are rounding errors that, that they do every year, right? There's things at the end of every year. Oh shoot! I'm run. Okay, I got this budget. I got to spend it, or I'm gonna lose it for next year. And they just throw it at something. Mm-hmm. So it's like like that. This extra level of scrutiny and resistance. I mean, and that's why part, a lot of a lot of me, not even a part of me, a lot of me, it's just like, look, let's have an honest conversation. Do we want to actually do this work or not? Because I can come together and put together like a really great visualization dashboard. I can bring on a data analyst. I can like, we can run as many qualitative and quantitative surveys as you like, but ultimately do you want to do this or not? Nah? You know what I mean?
1: It's usually nah because I don't think in, in, in it's a, it's a phrase that we, we roll in our circles all the time. It's like y'all ain't built for this and you have to be built for it. You have to have cultural competency to be tied into all of those pieces of the KPIs that you're asking for the questions that you're asking people and have an understanding of why people are not coming to those, uh, uh, research groups and why people feel like, look, if you were to be like, Hey, Ka, if you did like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when I was young, Ka, and I was like going into college and you're like, Hey, Ka, I need all the information about your money. I need information about your whereabouts I need information about your, where you live and, and how you live and X, Y, and Z, as a person who is afraid of the government, the cops, and all the layers in between that are authoritarian around that, I'm not giving you anything, even if it's for research that might potentially benefit me. To not understand that cultural conversation and to ask people for things you need, weirdly, you need people who look like you to be able to make that inroad into those communication circles And they have to also have enough cultural competency to understand how to put on the mask and take off the mask. It's about in-group speak versus out-group speak. And if you understand that, then you have a much better positioning to be able to go go into places and speak to people authentically and speak to people in the ways that you need to for them to be able to give you the information that you can use to help them. If you can do that, then you're in a brilliant spot. But there are so few of us in those places and that then goes into a much bigger conversation about like, our workplace is inclusive for you. Do you feel like you're in a good position to be at that spot? When you have something that goes on in your own personal life, will you have a boss that understands when you need to take the day off because somebody got shot in the culture, like, or some other random thing that is black adjacent that we understand as a thing that we already just know, right? Like the, it's all of those things that are in that mix that I still feel like corporate hasn't hasn't figured out well, and we want to throw money towards it in those uh specific ways, but the money we throw in there is usually not in the ways that we need them to be. So
0: you know it's interesting. You talked a little bit earlier about you know the world being on fire around us and like monopolies forming and happening. Like I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious to hear your perspective on two things. Well, no, no, let me back up. I'm curious in your perspective of just like Microsoft as a brand, right? And like, I'm, this mm-hmm. is not me trying to get your, mess your brand dollars up. I, what I mean is yeah. Microsoft, it's starting to feel like, um, and by the way, I, 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 oddly enough, I actually kind of like it, but it feels like Microsoft is just slowly just kind of trying to buy everything. Like they're trying to like, so they, they, got, they got Bethesda Studios. Some, yep. somebody just the other I, who who was it the other day that was talking about hey i think we should buy Nint- like we should buy nintendo too oh the head
1: head of xbox phil spencer yeah, yeah. phil spencer in, in a memo from three years ago yeah from
0: three years ago talking about we should buy nintendo like talk mm-hmm. to me about like your perspective on that and really like the state of gaming as we see like as we see like these uh this this these, these absorptions happening across the space
1: Ooh, that's a lot um I think there are multiple angles to that from a Microsoft perspective their current trajectory and, and and way they're positioning things is extremely smart Phil Spencer in the most recent um deposition uh when he went up to because um, uh, what was happening so the FTC basically came to the table and said hey we don't want we don't want a monopoly here with them buying Blizzard and Activision. The things that came out of that conversation were really were really uh, telling because it basically had Phil Spencer and a lot of the Xbox brass basically say, look, we're in third place when it comes to the console generation. We've been in third place for a very long time. We've been in there for maybe two generations of games. And they have been, right? Sony has been eating their lunch for a long period of time. Nintendo has an extremely smart and and, and loyal fan base. They've been doing that work for... Multiple decades of of years, Nintendo is a a deeply entrenched Japanese company that has figured out cultural relevancy across lots of different ways, right? So they're brilliant at at what they do. They have a very niche pocket and they, they rock in their pocket, right? They rock that joint. Sony is really interesting in that way. Another Japanese company that has a really smart marketing arm in what they do, but they're faceless in a lot of different ways. The beauty of what Xbox has been doing is they have been connecting directly with fans and with influencers and with folks in the space while also giving their brass a public persona, letting them be public, letting them share share stories and letting them talk to, to folks who are, you know, the fans of, of, of their products. In terms of what they're doing from a potential monopoly perspective, it makes sense. People may not like it, but it makes sense. If you're in third place... The things you need to do are either acquire, build, or uh, you know, try to sabotage the the, Those the are other your three side of options, the options, dog. That's really it. Basically, basically and 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 from the, the persona, the public persona that they have um, stuck with has been we want to do right by the player. We are not trying to go for smoke, right? We're not trying to build smoke into this thing and trying to fight people like we did in the early nineties when console when the console war was a real console war. Like There was actual marketing that was happening between companies that was like, I'm going to tell you, I am Dreamcast, I am Sega, I'm going to tell you Nintendo is garbage. Like, they would say that stuff in their marketing. Those days are over, right? Those days are over. So from that perspective, it makes nothing but sense in what they're doing. I think where trepidation winds up kind of coming in is, okay, monopolies usually kind of stifle competition in a a real way. We see that in the madden and 2k spaces in terms of football conversation that's been there forever i want my i want my nfl 2k5 back anyway but in the positioning that they're in it makes sense other groups are doing this namely embracer group which is one that has a lot of saudi money and has a lot of other stuff that people are are, are, are worried about but they are not doing it properly you're seeing a lot of studios close underneath that umbrella after them doing a lot of M and As and doing a lot of mergers and acquisitions. They're they're dissolving a lot of stuff that people that they pulled in thinking that they were going to be able to do more work. So that's what we don't want. But in this conversation, the only real thing that they have to worry about is the the public profile hit. And if they're not able to produce the games they want, they already have, I forget, 13 to 15 studios that are underneath their umbrella now. And from an Xbox gamer perspective and player perspective, the biggest thing that people have been saying is you bought all these studios, you've been doing all this M&A, where are the games at, right? They still have to prove that out. That's not going to not be the case. They still have a ton of studios that need to pull pull out some really fantastic games to bubble them up. But again, they're still behind. So what they've been doing in terms of pivoting is like, we're not going to just do console stuff. We're going to do multi-ecosystem stuff, which makes more sense and also is a really smart play. It's not about the console. It's about the ecosystem now for them, which makes a lot of sense. Players on the ground don't get that. And they, well, the the, <laughs> the smart ones get it. The other folks are still trying to play in the fanboy space. But that's where they're at right now. Like It just makes nothing but sense for the position that they're they're kind of engaging in and, and what they're trying to do
0: when they came out and said that we're going to be able to play, you're going to be able to play Starfield through your Xbox app on your TV. I said, yep. I said, Oh, okay. I said, always, oh, I said, Oh, I said, Oh, there. And then somebody said effectively, like in the next handful of years, the console wars are going to affect, are going to be over because yeah. we're not talking about buying and buying a system anymore. We're talking about just wherever you happen to exist with our, products which are not just confined to this box no pun Mm -hmm. that you're going to be able to interact with with our with our studio with our suite of our library of entertainment which includes games Mm -hmm. right that Mm -hmm. is crazy like and to your point like i was talking to my wife about it just from like just the business side of it i was like first of all people forget (laughs) now look third place is not tiny right and in this context Third place is still huge. I own that. I respect that. It's still third yep. place. So it's not, yep. It's they're not like um, Walmart. Like there's this perception that they are. Right. But they're not, <laughs> right. right? Like, yo, like, and if, and if you were to, and if you were to really challenge me to say, hey, Zach, you can only play one game for the next 10 years. You can only play one game. I'm probably going to choose a game from Nintendo. I'm yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm I'm not gonna choose a game from Xbox probably to be honest and that's not to say there aren't fun games over there but if it's like hey you can only play one exclusive or you can only play one system and I'm thinking about fun I'm probably gonna choose Nintendo yep. which 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 gets me to my next thing yep so um, and we're gonna talk about Starfield before we get up out of here so just
1: yeah I got and I got nothing but time you got me for as long as you need All right, perfect
0: so so here's my thing as I've gotten older. You know, married, father or two, trying to just do my thing. I realized, man, graphical fidelity is overrated, Khalif. It's overrated. Mm. I'm trying to have fun, dog. Like, and can we just talk about how Nintendo has figured that out? Like, Nintendo has figured out fun. Like, Zelda... Tears of the Kingdom, and of course, Breath of, the, Breath of the Wild, foremost, but then Tears of the Kingdom. They've just figured out, like, they've just figured out how to have fun. This new Mario game, people trying to laugh about it online, mm-hmm. people trying to laugh about it on Twitter, like, y'all know y'all ain't supposed to be playing that game. That thing that looks- game is dope, too. bro. I haven't played it yet. Like, I,
1: I, I, I played it. I played it at uh, PAX. It's good. Bruh. So, like- that stuff looks so fun. I'm like,
0: I'm like, y'all. <laughs> I, I, so my question to you, my question to you is, do you think that we're getting close to like, do you think that game, and then, and then of course, like we're looking at now, I also say this understanding that like that new Unreal Engine 6 or 7 just dropped and it showed like yeah. this new level of fidelity where stuff looks actually real. It looks like this. Yeah. But yep, do you yep. think that, like, at a certain point, we're going to reach our limit when it comes to, like, gra- like realism? and Or do you think that's always going to be something that people really chase and invest in?
1: Well, it's interesting. So, like, and and I, I love the fact that you posited kind of the Nintendo stuff on one end and, like, Unreal Engine 5 stuff on the, on this end of it, which is really the gap, right? Where the Uncanny Valley, which is what they usually call it, and when you get to a space of hyper realism where it kind of feels fake when you get there we're we're already at some of those places i think the 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 nintendo layer of it is actually really interesting because not only do they 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 play on your your heartstrings of fun but they really what they do and they encapsulate this extremely well better than anybody else on the planet is nostalgia they are a nostalgia company they will give you as many Mario's and peaches and Yoshi's as your brain can handle from now until the end of time. They don't need to get out of their lane there because everyone loves that lane. For me, that's that for me, that winds up being a little bit troublesome only because they have not gotten to a point where they are matching the other two in terms of fidelity. We had a big conversation about that most recently with the, the latest Mortal Kombat game, which was, not great in terms of the way it was displayed and got ported over to a, a system that can't handle that graphic fidelity yet. That thing right.
0: looked crazy on the, on the computer. It looks rough. On
1: the, yeah. It looks rough. So, you know, shout out to whoever team that is, that has to fix that. But I think the uncanny valley part of it, we're already seeing, we've been seeing a pushback against that for a while where the conversation has moved from, excuse me, from, we need to have things be hyper-realistic all the time to we need really great creative art direction that's been the biggest battle ba- battle there for me i am i am a, a graphics nut so like I, I want things to look i, I want the I, that's not the word that i want to use but uh, but it is the word that i will use uh i love to see hyper realistic stuff uh, again i was just playing some mortal kombat before we jumped on the thing and i was like i want this to be even bloodier and glorious. because i like horror movies respect. but but it's like you can mash up really great art direction, and that be a total different vibe than just say we need humans to look exactly like humans. Like meta humans are amazing in the Unreal Engine space. Like that's really fantastic. If you got a chance to see, yes. uh, maybe the guy, this is like maybe a year or two now ago, which was that Neo on un- yes um, I played it uh, the Matrix demo crazy that looked nuts right looked and that was that was the ushering of Unreal Engine Five. Now we're seeing some of those pieces kind of pull into to the games that Epic are making and Fortnite and other stuff, and other people are now using it. So the expectation is that that graphic fidelity will be there. But even before that, we had stuff like Uncharted. We had stuff like God of War. Yeah. We had stuff that was in there. And then you had other stuff from the indie space that went really hard on art direction, like Cult of the Lamb or a, a game from Spain called Greece that was beautiful and, and, and captivating and had this really fantastic story. But it was very... Um, you can see it was it was uh, what people will call it. It's an artsy fartsy game, yeah. right? It's great. So it really depends on the timber of the game. Really depends on the the, the the current angle of what you're trying to make as a as a game in general. But also, really goes back to the emotion that you're trying to evoke in the player. Mm. And once you really hit that layer, then you have a lot of different ways that you can go. But we're going to get to a point where you're just going to run out of tech. So uh, you know what I mean. We're gonna you're gonna run out, and you're not gonna have enough stuff to get there until until you get to what we saw with like the Tupac hologram. Yeah. <laughs> right. All <laughs> right. We're going to get there yeah. at some point, but people are going to be going to look at that too. And they're going to be like, I don't like that. I don't like and it. That's where that uncanny Valley conversation comes from. So, so it's weird. So
0: like, so, and, and I was saying unreal engine six, I meant to say unreal engine 5.3 with these, uh, yeah, yeah, with yeah. that yep. nanite landscape stuff. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. I, and I'm yep. looking at this and I'm like, so, so here's my thing. So first of all, I love the fact that you're on the opposite side of me on this because but I, I I say this to, I say this, but also knowing that like tech, like fidelity has changed. So my issue when it mm. comes to like like high high end and like us pushing for it to look as realistic as possible now is yeah, it inescapably we're gonna come back five years later and go oh this looks terrible or this doesn't look good yeah. right? But yep. but I say that though, saying maybe not now with these nanite landscapes because now this now it looks like a now it looks like an actual like I looked at some video on YouTube they dropped this, it's called Why Unreal Engine 5.3 is a Big Deal. It has like 1.3 million views it was like two weeks ago. Um, sure. And I, and I watched it and it and this legitimately looks like, I'm like, okay, it looks like y'all took like a GoPro and just like went through a forest. Like, it looks crazy. Yeah. But here's my, so, but here's my biggest use case of like, or my biggest example of artistic direction and style over yep. trying to like burn out your, your PC to make something <laughs> look real. So check this out. Like, i remember i remember when wind waker came out right everybody was mad a lot of people was mad yo we Mm -hmm. ain't want this you know da da Mm -hmm. da and so then and and then like people were really like hating on the game i was a little salty about it too because i just got done playing majora's mask time. so i was like yo Mm -hmm. i really wanted i'm thinking I, i i was i wanted at the time twilight princess right Right, right. Because right. Twilight Princess was to me like the most logical next step from a fidelity perspective story. Da 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 But like, and not to say, look, Twilight Princess is a phenomenal game. I ended up missing it because I, I jumped consoles. I can't remember something happened. I can't remember. But, um, and I want to say actually, Twilight Princess was really hard to get on the ga- on the GameCube. Like something happened where it just mm. got, and so it ended up being available on the. Um, on the Wii,
1: on like the Wii, on the Wii, but yep. I didn't have
0: a Wii, and I wasn't trying to mess with the Wii. I, I think at that point I got a, I, I switched over <laughs> to like a 360 or something. But but, but, the, but the point is, is like, point is, I remember though. If I go back now, right, and I go back and I look at, if you go back and you look at Twilight Princess, which it's Zelda, so it's gonna be phenomenal. It's a great game. Okay, yep. but if you go back and look at Waker right now, it still looks phenomenal. It looks dope. Like it still, it looks like, yeah. it looks like you're going. Like it looks, it's, it was. To your point about they specialize in nostalgia, it was if you if you go back and play it now it's aged so beautifully. I mean, all the Nintendo mm-hmm. switch guys are pissed myself included, raising both my hands that they haven't dropped the <laughs> remake yet. you know what I'm saying sure so so here's my here's my thing like here's my question as we get into this, like you know you've played starfield, um you yep. got the review copy. We're gonna get in that yep. for a second. The, the question I have before that, though, is what does it look like to build relationships with these studios, um, and and really like have access to games early? What is it? You know, I mean, I think you know, you think about the major players and major reviewers. Um, there's these stereotypes that come with a lot of them, right? I mean, sure. I-, I would say that you and like ACG and other people sit in this different space of like. Having access to these 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 groups and giving very authentic and honest reviews with respect Mm -hmm. to, while still respecting relationships, like what does that look like? And 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 when did you when did you start really building those relationships to even get early review copies?
1: Ooh, Um, that was uh, it's been weird because it's like even within the space that I occupy, like Spawn on me is 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 not a huge outlet? Um, we are, we are Smedium as I like to call us. Um, but I think what has kept us in the mix has been that, not brand voice, but like that authentic voice, that authenticity that you see from me as a person who's doing all that work to say, I want to be able to, to showcase not only what you've done, But I want to get our audiences smarter about the way it works. I've had the I've had the privilege of working at studios before, and there's a huge gap there, and I think that's also kind of one of the underlying kind of north stars for me is I just want the player to be smarter because the conversations we have online are really stupid about video games and you can't expect developers to spend time to do that work. Community managers are, are, are. Constantly doing a ton of stuff to to get that done, but there's still a language barrier here between the the, the player who is at home, who's like, I just want to put my money and buy my game and and play, and the people who are like more thinking about the industry or thinking about the way it works. So that's where I kind of sit, where. I want people to, and I want developers also to feel comfortable coming to talk to me about the process because the process is fascinating. I really do wish that everyone who is at home, who has ever talked crap online about, yo, just fix it could go to a conference like game developers conference and sit in one panel. You will feel infinitely stupid, which is one of the best things that has ever happened to me. Cause I was one of those folks at one point too, where I was like, well, why doesn't this work? Yo, just fix it X, Y, Z. And then I got a press pass to go to GDC like 10 years ago and sat in the panel. I remember it vividly. It was a panel for one of my favorite developers media molecule. And they were talking about little big planet and they were talking about some piece of technology that they had built that, that made the games, you know, process easier for them. And I sat there and I thought I understood games and I knew nothing. I felt infinitely stupid and it was, it was a, it was a light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh, there's a conversation here that they can't have because of all the layers that they, that they, that they have to go through and the space that I occupy where I can be a conduit for some of those things. So that was, has been like a foundational thing of how you get closer to developers, right? And how you get closer to publishers and all that kind of stuff is And this goes back a little bit to, you know, the pin of age, right? Where I have a reverence for this space. I don't think a lot of young cats in the game space do. And that comes from time. Again, I've come from two dots on the screen, going up and down with a block going in between it to hyper-realistic video games that we have now. Most of the folks who are doing the work right now, they don't have that perspective on this end of the other thing. So they don't have a love for it in the way that is like, it's a different love. But mine comes from a space of like seeing magic happen in real time. And they, they they haven't had, they've always had it. It's like telling kids about the internet and when they've never had the internet. And they're like, what do you mean? I never had, the, what do you mean? You never had the internet? It was like, oh no, I didn't grow up with the internet. We we're the last vestiges and last generation of folks who grew up without the internet. You have to understand what we that got means. Dial
0: up in my house. I remember when we from dial up to DSL. Like I remember that. Building. Yo, it was a huge deal.
1: And, and you have a, and you have an understanding of what that means, though technologically, yeah, right. So you also have that pre- that presence and that knowledge base to be like, I remember when this wasn't here, right. So I I go into those relationships treating people as humans for one, two, that reverence does hopefully come through in my work, and I, it doesn't cloud my work, but it comes through in my work, yeah. Um, but I think <clears throat> what it is is really relationship building. Like I remember very very. Vividly walking into multiple spaces at multiple conferences when I was a young buck in the game Mm -hmm. and not knowing anybody and not knowing who to talk to and not knowing how to talk to people and not understanding the ways that that worked where it's not just a, uh, gimme, gimme, gimme relationship. It is very symbiotic in a lot of different ways. And I think that is a part of that conversation where yeah, PR needs you to be able to talk about a thing in a certain way. But if you are able to talk about it in a way that feels like you, then there's no loss there, not for you, not for them and not for your audience, Right. which is a big part of the conversation, but it is a level of respect that is given to those folks, because I understand that that is work. That is hard. It's the reason why games have marketing teams. It's the reason why people do, do PR and why those layers are so important, even though we kind of poo poo it and make it into this thing that is adversarial. And also in this way that feels like, oh, well, they're high. They're keeping stuff from you as a person who is in that space. When the real conversation is no one deserves any of it <laughs> like that. It's a lot of entitlement in, your, in the gaming space, man. It's entitlement. And a lot of it is like I deserve. Yeah. And when I get into my I deserve, when I get into my I deserve bag, I have to take a step back. I don't look at that and say, well, I deserve a new code from x company from any of that stuff if anything it's liberating because now i don't have restraints i don't get a thing early so i won't be in the same mix of the conversation as all the folks who've gotten early code but it doesn't diminish my ability to have a conversation with my audience and 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 talk about the game when it when it comes out the barriers that are being put in here are all artificial some of those if this is your job job some of those have actual repercussions because there's ad money in there. If you get a really good review out and all that kind of stuff, we all understand that. Right. But for 99% of the folks who are doing this, it's all hobby stuff. Or if it's not hobby stuff, it's an enthusiast space that you have decided to, to go into and
0: engage, right? It's not like you're like, yeah, you're, you're not you're not you're not missing your mortgage payment off of not getting that code early.
1: But but or but but even if you are one of the best things when I was going through couples therapy with my wife some years ago was our therapist said, take this sticky note. You take one, you take one. Mm. And she said, turn, and he said, turn it over and look at it. Because we were fussing about married stuff, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And we turned it over at the same time and it had the same message on it. It said, you chose this. Mm. And I was like, oh, snap. Mm. Word. Word. That's you are right you are right. It is on it is on my computer right now. It is on her computer right now upstairs at her office. And every time I get into my I deserve I deserve I deserve bag. I look at that that sticky note that says you chose this. That shuts all that stuff down instantly for me because I'm like, okay, now I have a now I have guidance that says I have to either work harder, I have to give that up and be like, that's not for me or it's not going to be me. Or I, have to, or I have to try to pivot and do something different that gets me into the space where they ha- where they can't deny me, right? And if they do deny me, I still have avenues to do what I want to do because the world is still there for me to do it.
0: That is much- it's not like if they don't
1: give me a code that the magic still goes away and I can't buy the game on my own money. I can buy the game and just do the thing. But, like, you chose this is real, and I don't think a lot of folks in the space understand that because it's about me, 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 and I deserve, I deserve, I deserve his entitlement. And that's why,
0: dog. That is mature as hell. And I've been married for ten years. I love that. Um, Yeah. All right. So you know, so, so we're gonna get to this, but I'm gonna ask, this, I'm gonna ask one more thing, or or rather, ob- yeah, yeah. observation. Curious to get your your thoughts on it. I think the other piece, right? Like, and some of this has to do with the fact that we're like in this late stage capitalist society, where like there's just this, <laughs> this, this, this pressure to just get stuff out in the market, manufacture. um, uh, lack engagement, right? And 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 sell, 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 right? So see, so uh, that being said, like Cyberpunk almost like destroyed my hope in gaming, right? Like, hmm. um, only because I got so excited. So let me, and that's and that's not fair to put it all on that game. The one that really kind of like opened or cracked th- the dam, as it were, was Anthem. So mm, mm-hmm. Anthem. I thought was going to be this like just completely different experience. And honestly, shoot, I can even tell you this. I'll say before that, the game that broke it that that really was a first a tiny crack was um division.
1: Ooh, yeah.
0: Right? Yep. So yep. every it's like I was like, oh, because division was like, oh, this this look you talk about Fidelity? This look crazy. Oh shoot! I'm about to be. I'm playing with my people, but I'm also navigating. Oh my gosh! I'm going in this tunnel. I'm, and you know, and then, you know when it came out and it, it wasn't. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, right? But it wasn't what they said was. What they showed it wasn't what they showed, <laughs> and they kind of did the same thing with with Watch Dogs. But Watch Dogs to me was fun, so I wasn't really that. I wasn't tripped. But Watch Dogs looked crazy because they put it on like they had that crazy PC setup where they were basically running it on like. um, uh Zordon, basically, like the equivalent of that. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and so, so, so you got. to love
1: that reference. Bro, it great. was a huge
0: machine. Well, because because I watched a YouTube video where they showed they sh- they showed you like, hey, this is like the machine that they ran. um yeah. yeah. And, and it looked. It, I mean, they told me they said it was like a ten thousand dollars setup, and I was like, good god. So anyway, mm-hmm. so to your point about running out of tech, but anyway, so <laughs> so so you got Watchdogs, then you got Anthem. And then yeah, yep. so 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 cyberpunk. So for like two years, dog. No, my bad, three years. I was following everything. I was like, I was like, oh, something got a black creator. Oh, this thing about to be crazy. Da 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 da. I was looking at like the stills where the girl, when she had to raise her arms and she was getting, you know, she was getting shot up. I was like, oh my gosh, she looks incredible. And I get mm-hmm. the game, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Yep. What is this, fam? And then you ain't wrong. You ain't wrong. I was so heated, bro. I was so mad. And you know what it is when you like, especially, and, and I, it, it definitely destroyed me pre ordering stuff, right? Like Sure. Right. And so I was like, I was like, this is crazy. Because if we think of when you do the math, there was no reason for that. Like in my, for Zach the gamer, not Zach, yeah. the DEI executive or ex big four consultant or any of these other things, just Zach the gamer. Pause all that other stuff. There was no reason that game should have been bad because it came from a phenomenal studio that just gave me one of the best games of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, th- the studio, if you read anything about them, they're always talking about quality and experience and like giving as much value as they can yep. to the player, to the gamer, to their, cust- yep. to their client, to their customers. Why does this game look like this? And so for me, though, what I had to pause and realize, after I, it took me like two weeks, I was really mad. Um, I was <laughs> heatedly. I was so mad, bro. What What I realized was is like in, the 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 designers, the engineers, these these folk, they are not the people in charge. Like they're not no. in charge, right? Like nope. the 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 C suite is still in these gaming studios. The same C suite that's anywhere else. The C suite is in charge. They tell you and they determine when stuff is going to go out. I mean, I want to say afterwards, like when, when, uh, when the game went out, a bunch of people got upset and they were like, Hey, like, and they started leaking stuff. Hey, we actually said we yeah. needed to, this needed to be, cause they had pushed it already. And when they pushed it that first time, everybody got to your point about entitlement. Everybody got really upset and were really offended yep. and really let down. And so then, and I, I want to say they were like, it was like, it got really ugly, but my, all of this to say, I just wonder, do people, do you think gamers appreciate that? That like, the designers and engineers in these teams are not the people trying to, like, rush out a bad game.
1: Like, nope. And why? They don't care. They don't care. Well, well. here's the, th- here's the thing. And, and I learned the most about, I had a short stint at the previous studio that I was at, but learned so much about the process of game making that it is invaluable information now. Um, and I didn't even get, I didn't even scratch the surface of 99% of the stuff that I really wanted to dig into. But I think you start off with a really good pitch in between that time between pitch and, and out in the world, so many things happen. You have so many iterations of thought, so many iterations of technology, technology changes in the time that a thing happens. Cause you figure a A AAA game at this point takes five to six, seven years to, to, to make five to seven years to make, right just imagine how much your life changes in five to seven years. You as an individual that's not making a thing, right? That you don't have control over and that there are multiple layers of decision-making processes and multiple factors at play that are changing the the, the, the kind of routing and in, in scope and vision of what your original thing that you wanted to make is. Shit, oh, excuse me. Uh, t- uh, small to me is changing in a decade, you know? About what it originally was to what it is now, right? And that's me, right? That's one person as opposed to a 200-person studio, right? So distill all that down to the player, right? And the player has no reason to care. People who are involved, gamers who are involved and love, again, have reverence for the process, those folks care. But even there, there's a level of expectation that is built you know, based on a couple of different things in the same way that you felt like you were disappointed by the marketing that was originally kind of shared and then what the actual game was. Right. I remember that very CG based, you know, uh trailer or maybe it wasn't CG. I don't remember, but like when they, when he hit up against that, that, that NYPD car and the glass was breaking and the, and the, and the, and the, and the side mirror fell off and the stuff. And I was like, oh, we're in a new era of gaming right now. This is, this is what the future is supposed to be. And then we got what we got, and it wasn't that, right? And I think that was an aha moment for a lot of folks to be able to say, one game development is really hard. Two, um, marketing has a hand in what you see and what you wind up actually getting at the end of the day is different than what marketing says as opposed to what the developers are making sometimes. But I think for the player they don't have to care. Cause they're just like, look, I, I, I want to spend my money. This is my escape time X, Y, and Z. Do I think that that's the right way to think about it? No, but I can understand it. But I also understand that like, to a certain extent, this is, and this is, this is the thing that people don't like that I say often is that I want to put more onus on the, on the consumer to be better educated before they spend their dollar because we've had multiple cycles now where we've seen things like the division happen and we've seen stuff like no man's sky happen. And we've seen stuff like all these other games happen where we've seen something that looks really good from a marketing perspective. And it hasn't fully lived up to what that thing has been until a couple of years afterwards. Like I'm I'm finishing up playing phantom Liberty on, on cyberpunk and the changes that have come about in that game are phenomenal. It feels like the game that we had wanted initially in the in the conversations that we saw. But if I'm a consumer and I and I look at that now and I'm like, well, I already spent my money and I don't care. Plus, we have more stuff to play than we've ever had on the planet now. Like we have like your window to, to 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 making sure that you're in the zeitgeist is so small now that you have to hit on day one and if you don't hit and de- you don't hit in month one like we'll give you a little bit of leeway if your your connectivity stuff your network infrastructure stuff ain't, ain't on point sometimes you know you live in a games of service space now where a lot of things are online and you need them to be online to work and that's also has a thing i think the the, the biggest balance right now is between what we see in the marketing what we wind up getting in game and if players are comfortable enough with waiting or if they're smart enough they are no longer first adopters that's the thing that i tell people all the time is and that's a weird thing to say because most of the money that you need to showcase and get your game out into a good positioning happens in the first couple of months that your game is out so you so it's a weird balance where you can either play the role of the guinea pig and be okay with it and work and work with it or you can wait until a game has gotten its legs underneath it and kind of do that stuff. But there's there's another conversation in there that I think is really important about just like the proximity between players and game makers now, which is extremely different than any other place that we've ever seen on the planet. And I think there's some care that needs to be had there as well to, to be able to kind of move into a positive direction. But that's a whole other tangent to, to go on in terms of how players interact with, with the development community in a way that's good for them and, and benefits the player too.
0: Well, you know, but to your, but like, you know what though, and I, I get your, I, I can see why people get upset about you putting accountability on the consumer. People don't like really like accountability like that, Khalif. So, but but what I'll say for me, what I'm I'm noticing is that, or I had to take a lesson, right? So after Anthem was trash, no disrespect. After Anthem was trash, I had to make a decision. Like, okay, Zach, like. What you gonna do? Like you gonna keep on pre-ordering these games, or are you going to wait and be judicious, mm. right? Like that's just what it is. Now, and here's the thing. Then, so then I was like, so then I'm like, here straight up. Here's the calculus. I said, so cool. I'm not gonna do that no more with these random games. I'm only I'm gonna do it only. I'm only gonna pre-order with like very select studios. So then, Cyberpunk drops. I pre-order because I did, and I was like, okay, well that? all right. So obviously the game, you your calculus was wrong again because okay and also people trying to make everybody trying to make money they had to get this thing out so you got to make a decision so then starfield comes and i'm like you know what i'm gonna try it one more time because if if bethesda gives me a bad game now i did not mess with starfield uh, i'm sorry uh, fallout 76 i'm not playing that when they told me there wasn't any npcs i was like this is ridiculous i'm not playing that <laughs> game. right and the layout was just like fallout 4 yeah, I'm not well, come on, come on. And and unlike unlike probably a lot of people, I actually think that Bethesda does make really good uh, main storylines. I like the storylines. So, uh, yeah, or, so I, 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 I enjoy them. So, But, but when he they, when they told me there wasn't going to be a story and you just going to be you collecting tapes, I something like, I'm not playing it. So anyway, I said, you know, if Bethesda drops a bad game, and I told my siblings, I said, if Starfield is actually bad, then I'm going to just put up my games for a while. I'll probably just end up playing on this Switch until whatever and then i'll just be a casual a super casual gamer and play with my kids um starfield comes out and um i'm gonna be honest it it met all my expectations i ain't gonna hold you i'm curious like you know i watched your review four times i want you to know um thank you so i'm not asking you to repeat your video here sure talk to me about like your impressions of starfield um compare it to you know um com- compare it to oblivion um i think people like to compare it to um to to um i think a lot of people like to compare it to skyrim sure i i, I think i think there are more apt comparisons in their library um but i'm just curious to get your perspective on it i just and 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 frankly like i want to know like were you really excited to play or were you kind of like eh
1: I, I mean i'm i was really excited to play it because again i like I believe in Bethesda's work. I think Bethesda continues to put out really smart titles. I think they they lean on their pedigree a lot, which I think is also in that mix too. But I also just understand that, like, when you are going for a Bethesda game, you have an understanding of what you're going to get within a Bethesda space. Like, I don't think that that's a bad thing, um, knowing what Bethesda does. I think that the game itself is great like i'm having a blast still playing through i still even even though because now multiple games have come out in between that time i've still not finished the main campaign uh and i'm still playing through the main campaign uh because i enjoy it and i'm still trying to you know eke as much out of it before i get to the end game and then try to go into new game plus and stuff but I think from a a system standpoint, there could be some some work done there because I think some of those things are feel a little antiquated. Mm -hmm. I think from a character building perspective, it's always a little bit weird because you are this kind of silent protagonist who's not saying a lot and having a lot of interactions with folks besides asking people questions and talking to them about things that they want to. Kind of have a diatribe about, but not really really engage you in a real way mm. like it's talking at you as opposed to talking with you, which I think is a but that's the uh thing in their conversation systems that I think is a little bit old and antiquated yeah, but the things that I was going into that game hoping for was like better combat uh really dope space exploration uh the ship to ship battle stuff just feels really good mm-hmm. um So I feel like they have done the job of what they asked for. And now knowing that the the thing that the thing that frustrates me about the conversation about Starfield Mm. is everyone kind of acts brand new about the understanding that like this game, once Bethesda puts a game out, at minimum, there's an eight year cycle for content that's probably going to happen in there. Maybe that has gotten shorter now because they have other projects in the mix and because you don't want to burn your team out with a with a, with a game for that long, because they've already probably been working on it for for five or six years already, mm-hmm. and, and and teams get tired. You, you usually will see a lot of folks leave studios right after a big a big release mm-hmm. because they just want to do something different or they just want to break. Yeah, right. But I think Skyrim did exactly what they were trying to do. It's a space. It's a space opera like you you're trying to do that thing and find those interesting factions and find those little planets that you're doing all this cool stuff like i got my little i got my little iron and aluminum sweatshop on one of them planets Same. doing this thing <laughs> as we speak but it's you know it's like you know it feels great yeah. like it's doing what it's supposed to do it's it's playing exactly the way i had an expectation for it to play so i'm i'm happy with it i'm just excited that now now that it's out We get to see the modding community jump in because they're fantastic. We now get to see Bethesda even um, reconfigure some of the stuff that they have been trying to do because that game is just big. Like people forget how big this game is and how all of these intricate systems are at play. So it's like people like, oh, the game is ugly and it doesn't look good. And I'm like, yeah, but you can do X, you can do this, 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 and this. And you can't do that in most of these other games. Yes you have to understand and put things into proper perspective because a game like God of War is very very different than a game like Starfield. It's not even yeah, they two not... different sets of ta- two different sets of technology that's at play here and two different things you're trying to make happen. And people forget that part often, which is super frustrating. I'm just like, you don't understand how these two systems are so infinitely different and why one might break a little bit more than the other one breaks. Yeah. Like that's just a, a telling sign of like not paying attention to the way games are made, more than anything else.
0: And, and this is where, and this is where I'm like, maybe I'm starting to age out of this whole like gaming thing. Not, not that I'm, I'm, I'm gonna continue to play games, but it's like to your what you said earlier in our conversation, just like the the level of di- dialogue, right? So like, so so my thing is when they were talking about, oh well, you can't you can't go you can't play, um, or, right, You can't travel the whole planet at the same time.
1: Right, and I'm
0: like, okay. I mean, okay.
1: Who? Why? Why do I like what? Like, uh, like here's an interesting thing, and because I literally right before we started the, the recording today, I saw this. Can I play with those? Someone, can I go yes. Play with those? <laughs> I love it. But one of the conversations that popped up was around. Oh, so there's a new mod now where you can go from space. And basically break through the atmosphere and go down to the planet like you're doing on No Man's Sky. And I looked at the mod and the video that people did, and it's not real. Like you can't do exactly what you can do in No Man's Sky. And it made me rethink about you know, my, my experience with No Man's Sky. And for that game, that is a integral part of the experience, and it still is dope every time you do it. The difference is with Starfield is. When I do that in No Man's Sky and I get to the planet, I still don't feel like I have things to do. I don't have dire- I don't have direction, and maybe that's me. Maybe that's me because I've been out of the loop for that game for a little bit because I know that game has continued to get bigger and better and all those things. But even when I go back to go play that game, I still don't feel any urgency to do anything besides go look at the planet and farm rocks.
0: That's and, and, and that's and my biggest. I'm like guys, these are not the same game. And even even the commentary like, of oh you can only jump from system to system or you can't literally fly from one star system to another it's a cutscene and I'm like do y'all know how big the, a galaxy is like do you want to go on your yeah. ship and press a button and just sit there holding your controller for 30 minutes or whatever drive flying from one star system to another do you appreciate how big that is for you to go mm-hmm. dog when I showed my wife, who is not like the, like the last game she and I played together was Little Big Planet 2. When I yeah. when I when I showed her, I said, "Hey, let me show you something," and she goes, "What are all those?" And I said, "Those are." She said, "What are all those dots?" I said, "Those are stars." She was like, "And I said, each of those is a is our, our is a is a system. It's a solar system, mm-hmm. and in each of those systems." There's multiple planets I can land on and interact with. And like it's it's under it was also understated of like they were like, oh, there's not enough life. And it's like, fam. I remember like I think when I one time when I flew out to like past Crick's like way out there, mm. and I landed somewhere mm. and it was like, oh, an abandoned depot thing. There's people, there's there's NPCs out there. It's like, bro. Yeah. I, and it's like, yo, do y'all and I think to you this goes back I just love I love is this whole conversation coming full circle about Appreciating what something is because of just like you've seen other things before. Like, I think about when I played Skyrim for the first time. And I'll take it, I went I went, I played I did not play Morrowind, but I did, but Oblivion was my real first Bethesda experience. And I really same. Yep. So and I was thinking about just how you think about how rich Oblivion is, right? It's so rich. There's so much to do. Now, like, take that, <laughs> take Oblivion, and then like. Multiply that out like forty, fifty, sixty times across a galaxy. Yep. yep. You that should you should get excited about that. And the last thing I'll say about this man is like going back to this whole fun factory thing. I do think that Bethesda, I think they they they've come to peace with the fact that the, the games are gonna look good. They're not they don't look bad, but they're not gonna look like hyper realistic. The faces kind of look kind of weird. <laughs> Sometimes when you talk to people, they turn real strange and all that kind of stuff. And you you get yeah. used to that. But it's fun, and what's interesting to me, I'm watching these. I watch some YouTube reviews where it's like, "All right, y'all, I played Starfield for a hundred hours. Let me tell you, it's not good." And it's like, okay,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: those things can't be true.
1: But I, but, but it's what you call it, though, right? Mm. Like again, it's the understanding of the experience that you're supposed to have. Oblivion, at the point that we played Oblivion for the first time. The amount of dialogue, the amount of stuff, the amount of music, the amount of stuff, like all of those things were crafted for that game. Mm-hmm. Now we move 20 years into the future where procedural generation is a thing. And No Man's Sky couldn't have couldn't, couldn't be No Man's Sky if they had to craft each one of those things. Mm-hmm. It would be Starfield <laughs> yeah. because you don't have enough people power. You don't have enough manpower. You don't have enough brain space to be able to make crafted experiences across 200,000 planets, whatever it is in, in, in I mean, in, in No Man's Sky, which I love because when I go back to play No Man's Sky, it does give me that space to be like, I know more than likely something's going to be here and I can fly to it. I can see what the, the atmosphere is and all those kinds of things and look at it and do all those things. But then for the most part, I leave, I dip out. Like I'm like, all right, that wasn't pretty. That planet wasn't pretty. There's nothing here for me to see. I'm leaving. Right. And that's a procedurally generated landscape that you wind up being in. The Goldilocks planets that, that uh, Todd Howard had talked about, yeah, you're going to fall onto places that don't have actual life on it. But they are trying to replicate an idea of what actual space is. And for most of the stuff that we see in our visible solar system and planetary uh, uh, travel that we've been able to do and that we know of in this metaverse, I mean, in this multiverse, (laughs) there is, there aren't a lot of life on a lot of planets that you would wind up seeing. So it winds up being this kind of more realistic understanding of what the universe is, as to a more fanciful version that we see in No Man's Sky, and both can live in the same brain space and have different use cases. Like, I still love, again, I still love that, that, that moment when you go from, being in space to landing on a planet in no man's sky. And I also don't see the, the purpose of me traveling for 40, 40 days to go fly to a planet. That'll make me even more mad. <laughs> <laughs> if you made me fly to a planet for 40, for 40 minutes, it ain't nothing on that planet. I'm heated. Now, mad, right now, I'm mad at you. Cause that's wasted time, oh,
0: man. Come on, man. I, right? I got to put these kids to bed. I got time for this.
1: So like, Right? Like, you know, so I don't know. People want everything and in in, in everything at once. And I'm like, that's not the way this works, y'all. Like, this is not it. Khalif, we might have to
0: break this down to a part one and two. But, bro, thank you so much, man, for sitting down with me. Um, I feel like I feel like we are we got really, really cool. I feel like I'm excited about us. Like, yeah. just continuing to keep Line Communication open. I want you to come back on the show. Uh, much love to spawn on me. Before I let you thank go, you. anything you want to plug or shout out?
1: first of all, I, I ditto. Like I, I feel the exact same way. Like I'm, I'm, I'm hyped that we got a chance to finally make this happen and, and, and chop it up because it's been a phenomenal, phenomenal show. Brilliant questions, really fun questions. Um, for me, uh, I'm running around and doing a bunch of stuff. So, uh, we're working on getting spawnies together, spawnies three, our award show. Uh, that we've been doing that's for underrepresented folks in the gaming space um spawn of me is now it hit its 10th year as of 2023 uh which is a milestone in and of itself we're all we're creeping up we're probably like two or three episodes away from our 500th episode uh on on the podcast which is which is great we're trying to figure out what to do for that because god knows there's so many things to do um uh and you can check out the show uh on youtube youtube.com slash spawn on me is where you can find our vods i usually do our live broadcast on twitch.tv slash spawn on me Uh, we're trying to find a good day for it, but everything keeps moving around. It's between all the games happening and the embargoes happening. So we usually do it on Wednesday nights around 6 PM PST. Uh, but that's been kind of in flux just because too many things have been happening. Um, so you can go check that out there as well. And there's a super secret project that I'm working on, uh, that's in the small enemy universe that's coming probably before the end of the month. Uh, it'll maybe start in October. Uh, that'll kind of get us closer to what the original idea of what spawn on me was about, um, which, which I'm excited to, to kind of dig into uh, when it's time to talk about that, but stay tuned for that. It's going to be a little bit, it's, it's going to, it's not, going to be, not going to be a little bit, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and it gives me the, the chance to kind of expand in a way that I've been looking to do for a while. So I'm excited for that. And and again, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Anytime you want me to rock, I'm down to, uh, and, and just appreciate the time and, and, and the work you've been doing. It's dope.
0: Well first so first of all, um absolutely thank you. Definitely gonna have you back soon. Maybe I can slide by spine on me. I don't know, because I yeah. might not I don't know if I'm cause I'm not an engineer. I don't know, but I would love to hang out with y'all over there too. And then also, make sure y'all y'all click the link in the show notes. If y'all aren't following the spot on me podcast, make sure y'all follow him there. Make sure you check out the website. Make sure y'all just like get familiar. We have a phenomenal community over there. I love authenticity and um and 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 what you said at the beginning of this is like you know just how you engage games through the prism of your own identity and like um and the fact that it's not and, and no shade to nobody people who do this because like there's different spaces for different types of content um there's hey i'm going to like really like throw my identity at the front of every single thing i do and like make sure that you know <laughs> whatever whatever and like to be yeah. honest there are certain days i really like that i also like the concept of hey I am who I am and I'm happened to be doing this thing, right? Um, like that's where living corporate, even the name came from. Cause living single is, was all about these people and these black folks in the nineties. They happen to be, they're black cause they live in they in New yep. York. So they happen to, and they just happen to be existing on these spaces. That's my general vibe. I really like a lot. Cause when you do that, then, you know, your identity is going to seep through. It's going to really just permeate throughout the entire thing. So all that being said, look, man, I appreciate you. Can't wait to have you on the show soon again and uh we'll catch up bro
1: thank you fam appreciate it we'll definitely get you on spawn i you definitely got to come through and rock and, and share our audience with your audience and, and get some more folks to come by and check out the work that you're doing because it's fantastic so anytime i'm down to make that happen and, and anytime to be down back on the show as well love it man talk to you soon peace all right brother peace
0: And we're back. Yo, thank you so much for rocking with us at Living Corporate. So excited. Uh, Make sure that you check out the links in the show notes to learn more about Living Corporate. If ain't nobody else tell you today, I'm gonna tell you right now. I love you. You matter. Take care of yourself. Later.
1: Living Corporate is a podcast
0: by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown.